0: Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time, and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests, such as physicians, dieticians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high valued conversations for you. And just remember the first five seasons of the Thrive podcast can now be found in the new, the chef doc app available in your Apple store and Google play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zui, the chef doc. And uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. I have a great, great episode by the co-founders of Married to Health, Dahlia and James Marin. They are plant-based dietitians. We have a great, great episode talking about all things, gut health, the microbiome, the microbiota, things and topics that concern people a lot, which is SIBO, IBS, when to take probiotics when is it not great to take probiotics and much much more so you don't want to miss this definitely stay tuned okay guys well welcome to another episode of thrive bites podcast i'm your host dr colin zoo and thank you so much for being here with us you could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to share your precious moments with us uh, today and we are super, super um, excited for you to be here and spend those moments with us. I am joined by a lovely, lovely uh, guest. I think what I admire about them even more than their brilliant minds is how awesome seemingly from the outside, you know, their relationship are with each other. And it's a very admirable to be able to have you know, not just one, but two registered dietitians working in the lifestyle slash plant-based movement, but also doing it together, you know, within family and how they, you know, married all that together. So, um, so today's, uh, we have Dahlia Marin. She's a registered dietitian. I'm going to ask her about her other acronyms as well. I don't want to mess those up as well as her counterpart, James Marin. They are both the co- co-founders of the Integrative Dietetics Practice. Married to health, and they're the first hundred percent plant based sibo slash i b s nutrition program as gut health dietitians, Valley and james' goals are to spread knowledge about the importance of incorporating plant based foods to support a healthy gut microbiome and to help those who have gut issues get back to a thriving gut microbiome so so many great things within that paragraph so Without further ado, I'm going to please welcome both of them to the stage. Hey, guys.
1: Hey, hey thank you so much for having us.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for you know, coming on board uh, like we were talking before. I know you guys are super, super busy. So we really appreciate experts that you know, take the time out. And you guys are all about education. So I'm really excited about you know, today's episode. Number one, where are you guys calling from?
1: We're local. We're local in Orange County, California. We um, have our virtual practice. We see people all over the world, but our home base is Orange County, so we love it. We love being your neighbor.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yes, we are neighbors, and uh, <laughs> you know, I've been finding you guys for some time, and you know, it wasn't until a local veg fest is where we actually, <laughs> you know, you know, cross paths. So it's you know, hopefully more more, more ventures together. So yes,
1: we look forward to it.
0: Yes. So number one, I love to start off the question and episode with my guests of the, you know, now we have a superhero and a superheroine, you know, um, on stage, you know, and I love the origin story. So take us, you know, for the audience, how do you, you know, how does the moniker Merit to Health come about? What were the moment, or series of moments that you guys decided. You know what? Let me combine family and business, and you know, as as fun as <laughs> as, it, as it can be, you know, you know what what kind of crazy juice were you drinking that decided? Hey, let's let's do this together, hubby <laughs> yeah. and wifey. <laughs> you
2: know, I usually let her go first, but I'll just say really quickly, and I'll let her go into it more deeply. Really married to health and everything we do just came from a, a need and, and kind of a need that we saw wasn't being fulfilled. And it, and it spans from like our own health journey to our professional health journey to the even our undergrad in education to now like serving patients. Married to Health is just trying to bridge gaps that we're seeing, right? In healthcare and education and patient care. And, and really, that's what we're all about. So we're trying to take the best of plant-based, Western medicine, functional, integrative, And say, look at all these great puzzle pieces we have. Let's let's put them together and tailor it for each person. And that's kind of what we did for our own health journeys. That's what we do for our patients. And that is kind of that is married to health, but I'll let you go.
1: And you know, our our northern star, you know, our phrase that we've trademarked because we're so passionate about it is heal with each meal. And I think that's what just keeps us going. And that's what we recognized healing with each meal is not just eating the right, the perfect nutrition, right? It's not just having that perfect plant-based diet. It's having healthy relationships so you can feel with each meal. It's having a healthy community that we're trying to curate and create and marry to health. It's having great physical health. It's all of the above. And so that really sparked our desire to create this because, you know, we were talking before we got started, not a lot Di- uh, not a lot of dietitians really veer off that kind of straight path. It's either, I'm, am I going to work in a hospital? Am I going to work in an outpatient clinic? Not a lot of dietitians, I think, step out and create their own practice. And, you know, yes, James and I are the co founders of Married to Health. And, you know, I'm one of the lead dietitians, but we have five other amazing dietitians who work in our practice who also have that that Northern star. They have that same philosophy. They want to help people heal with each meal and they understand that there's so much more into it than here, follow the USDA food plate and here, just eat plant-based. There's so much more. And that's how we go in depth, whether that's with our personal relationships, our patients, our professional relationships like, we're not afraid to sit down and ask those tough questions. Tell me about your traumas. Tell me about what your struggles are. I want to hear all about it because that's how you heal with each meal. And that's how you really become married to health where it is just a way of life, right? You're not married sometimes. And then, you know, divorced other times, (laughs) like you're married, you're into this. It's a commitment. So with every single meal, every single intention, you want to find a healing opportunity
2: and then just, and so because of all that it made us crazy enough to be like let's mix our family with our business and go go into business together even though we were you know, working respectively, separately in different like nine to five jobs before married to health. Mm. Uh, and, and it made us go like, this is so important. We have to do this. And just like a marriage, it, there's ups and downs, but no matter what, you're you're sticking with it. And that's the idea. That's the essence of a healthy lifestyle. Like Dahlia said, it's not like you're divorced one day and then the next, oh, the wedding season's coming up. I gotta fit in my wedding dress. So let me get back yeah. married to health. And, you know, I think that's how so many people think, but that's not the
0: case, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you just described a yo-yo relationship, right? (laughs) Instead of a yo-yo diet, you're describing like, you know, are we off again? Are we on again? Right? Like, what are we today? Is this a situation What's going on? And that's Um, how nutrition and
2: health can feel, right? It's like you're going back and forth, back and forth, and you're confused. And so many people are feeling confused. They're just like, what am I? Who am I? And it can feel across the board with your relationships, with your health,
0: with your, with your lifestyle, like what is going on?
2: And there's just too much, too much going on.
0: It is. It is. And I feel like it's exponentially, you know, just going to be more, you know, saturated uh, with this Mm -hmm. and disinformation. So, so I'm really happy that you guys are doing what you're doing. Take us really briefly, you know, it sounds like you were following the conventional traditional path separately before joining forces before embarking on this. What, you know, just so audiences that are not aware of a RD's pathway, what did you see, you know, or didn't see in your schooling, training, once you got out, you know, just like really briefly, like what was missing that said to yourself, okay, we got to do something different.
1: Yeah. I I distinctly remember still as, you know, I was acquiring my degree in human nutrition, food science, and dietetics. One of, I was working at like a fair that we had for prospective students. And one of the professors literally was telling these incoming students, Hey, if you don't want to work in a hospital or in food service, don't become a dietitian and do not apply for this program. And I was like, what are you talking about? I knew from that moment, like, there's so much that you can do. But even with my belief, I really feel like I didn't have the mentorship to really understand that fully. Initially, when I was completing my internship, because just like, you know, as physicians, you all have your residencies, we have our internships that we have to complete, supervised practice hours before we can sit and take our exam. I thought, I loved my renal rotation. I was like, I'm going to become a renal kidney dietitian. And that was my Mm -hmm. favorite rotation. So Mm -hmm. everything in my mind became about becoming a renal dietitian. I said, I need to acquire an inpatient hospital job so I can get those practice hours. And I need to get my certification to become a renal dietitian. And I thought that that was going to be my path. And I literally remember the day where I realized, nope, that's not. I was taking out the garbage cans and it hit me. I don't like working with renal patients. It's actually quite sad because you're really Really just keeping alive and it's end of life care for a lot of those people, not all of them, but you know, it's not a healing situation. I only liked that population because there was continuity of care. I got to form relationships with the patients because they had to show up for their treatment. So I got to know these patients that I was working with. And I realized at that moment, I don't want to become a renal dietitian. I want to have that outpatient opportunity because I already saw in the hospital, really the only ones you would have continued relationships with were those frequent flyers that we all know are constantly Mm -hmm. in the hospital because of their poor health. And I didn't want to work on that side of, health or disease. I wanted to work on more of the preventive side. And that took me along quite an interesting journey. I was inpatient. I got the opportunity to work on a cool contracting opportunity where I got Mm. to go to organizations like Loma Linda and other large companies to run employee health screenings. I worked at an outpatient clinic in an underserved area. I have worked with pediatrics and worked in a pediatric clinic because I thought, where's a better place to start than the beginning with kids kept taking me further because, you know, I have my own health story. And as I was learning more about my own health, I was like, Oh, wait, hold on. I think there's something to be said about integrative functional medicine and nutrition. So I started a position in that and learning more about that and got certified in, you know, functional nutrition and integrative nutrition. And then I was like, wait, they keep talking about the gut and Mm -hmm. it like, to the gut. So I think that's where everything was pointing me the entire time. And that's what then made me feel like, Hey, I need to just do my own thing. You know, we were part of a larger practice with a gastroenterologist, other primary care physicians and others. And then we realized, you know what, this is wonderful. And it was such a great opportunity. And we really have a lot to share with other fellow colleagues and other fellow dietitians. So, you know, I've been a dietitian now for over a decade and it's been quite a journey. But I would say for the better part of that, I've been working in gut health, so passionate about gut health, and really continue to want to teach other dietitians, show other dietitians there's no one way, there's no one path. You can really. Mm-hmm. DIY it, do your own thing. You know, as long as you're working ethically and you have your patient's best interest in mind, you can do something like married health.
0: For sure, for sure. You know the the rotations are pivotal because it allows us to explore. And Mm -hmm. it's very rarely that you know, you know exactly what you want, you know, and then you come out of the gate, you know, and you just know what to do, you know, from there. For me in my journey, it was a lot of explorations. I followed functional docs. I follow integrative docs, naturopaths, the, whole, the list goes on. And, you know, I found lifestyle medicine and that's what called me. So it is very good to actually explore. And I think how you guys ended up where you are is meant to be, right? Mm-hmm. Because all those things... Are, were needed for you to be like, okay, we know what not to do or do less of, let me kind of like cherry pick and, you know, incorporate and, you know, fit together that puzzle piece together. So.
1: Yeah. And it's brought us to a place where we have a unique opportunity to not just work with patients. Cause you know, as much as I love doing that, you don't have to do that as a dietitian. James hasn't for the last couple of years. So we have a whole nother facet of Married to Health and we actually have multiple dietitians who work with Married to Health who don't see any patients with Married to Health because mm. um, we have just other yeah, things actually, happening.
2: I mean, there's seven. Well, so there's six dietitians who see patients. There are three. So we have nine,
1: nine total, total dietitians, dietitians on our team. Oh, wow. so
2: three in the back end, six in the front end. And it's very cool. There, there's so much opportunity. And, and to your point, Colin, is like, you know you're you're gaining that experience. Life is that journey, right? And every kind of step you're taking, hopefully it's in a positive way. But even if it doesn't feel like it at the time, you look back and just go, oh, that that was leading me towards something. I learned from it, mm-hmm. even though if it wasn't as positive as it could have been, you learn and you grow and and you find kind of that calling eventually, you know, staying on that path. So.
1: And it's led us to other cool relationships. You know, we work with food companies, we work with some nutraceutical companies. Mm-hmm. We on social media provide what we like to refer to as infotainment where it's evidence-based info in an entertaining way. So it's just really fun to incorporate our other dietitians and the rest of our team and on all these cool things that we are so grateful and blessed to do.
0: I think, you know, I totally, you know, agree and concur because, you know, that's what I do as well. And it just allows for so much, you know, variety and diversity, which, you know, is a nice segue to our main, you know, topics. I can talk to you guys all day long uh, about, you know, career, career yeah. motivation. It's almost like we're yeah. guidance counselors <laughs> now for like health professionals, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, AKA The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for joining me on another video. I'm very excited to talk about a few things in regards with checking. So when was the last time that you had a chance to visit your primary care doctor, or the last time you saw your provider and had a annual check, a wellness check, When's the last time you have checked for STDs or just had a general understanding of what preventative care is or wellness? So I'm very happy to let you guys know that I've partnered with Let's Get Checked, and it is a fantastic company where they do end-to-end collection and testing. And so what that means is that they provide a very great user experience, a very great, seamless, efficient process of getting your wellness check, your labs check, cholesterol, your diabetes score. They help you calculate your heart risk. They go into men's health, women's health, and also sexual health as well. And so how it works is that you go online, you order your tests, and you receive a box like this, okay? What I currently have is my diabetes and heart collection. I also have one for micronutrients. And basically it comes in a box like this. So thank you for watching this video and let's all get checked together and I'll see you guys on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, so my first question is let's talk about what in the popular form is called leaky gut you know, syndrome or leaky gut, right? Mm-hmm. In the medical community, we call this intestinal permeability. So explain to the audience, because I think this is a nice segue to the, you know, quote unquote, you know, meteor topics. And what is it, right? How does it form? And why do we need to be concerned about it, would you say?
1: hmm. No, such a good topic. I always say, you know, the three most important parts of a well functioning gut are the barrier, the balance of bugs that live in the gut and the flow of the gut. And so if any one of those major three things is off you will have disease and or major symptoms that are life altering for many people. The barrier being such an important component, you know, we have our gut and that's everything from mouth to anus. Right. And so people, I think, think of all of our organs as these very robust dense organs. You know, they think of the brain, they think of the heart, they think of the liver and they are very muscular and fatty and dense That's not the case with the gut. It's a hollow organ. And so the skin, the epithelia that makes up the gut is thinner than the skin that we have externally, and it is selectively permeable. So it allows for certain things, whether that's food particles, bacteria, other types of information to pass into the bloodstream selectively. So our immune system can kind of assess, hey, is this a threat? Is this a good guy? Is this good for me? Is this not? So it's good to have it slightly permeable. But when there is excessive inflammation that can occur in the area, perhaps that's from a food allergen, perhaps that's an environmental allergen, a food that somebody is intolerant to from dysbiosis and having more of an abundance of inflammatory gut bugs that are just wreaking havoc from the inside, that's going to damage that very thin and delicate epithelia after it first starts to kind of create damage with Uh, the mucus barrier that's meant to protect it. So then it's not able to be as selective. And then you have things like all of your food, that's kind of just leaking out into the bloodstream or all of your digestive contents. And then that can send the immune system that lives in the bloodstream into that overdrive and into that hyperdrive. And that's where we see that crossover between a in that intestinal hyperpermeability, aka that leaky gut and autoimmune conditions, right? They usually are heavily tied to one another. It's very seldom that you see somebody with an autoimmune disease who hasn't had some type of viral involvement or some type of leaky gut involvement. So that barrier is so crucial because it, it protects, it guides, it kind of controls everything that's happening in the gut, including digestion. I think a lot of people don't realize things like, 60 plus percent of our digestive enzymes are made in the brush border of the small intestine. If that's excessively leaky and damaged, you are making fewer digestive enzymes. So that's when people say, Oh, I used to be able to eat bread. I used to be able to eat beans. I used to be able to eat eggs, and now I can't. And maybe you are losing that tolerance because you're not making enough enzymes. Maybe somebody now has what's known as a histamine intolerance because. They also aren't making those enzymes that break down histamines in the small intestine. So when that barrier is damaged, it can just lead way to so many issues with those other two functioning components, the movement, the motility and the balance. So, 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 so important for us to be really mindful of paying attention to our bodies. Hey, is your body sending you a signal that every time you eat dairy, you have diarrhea or you're excessively bloated? Maybe listen to that instead of just being like, it's okay. I'll just take lactate and I'll have diarrhea and it's fine Mm -hmm. because it can cause long-term damage. So I think listening to those signals that our body is intending on sending us. And then if you are in that case where you do have leaky gut, knowing who to turn to and what to do before it just gets worse and worse, and then rolls into something like an autoimmune condition or else, you really want to be able to stop that.
0: James, do you have anything to add? She she said it well. I'll just uh, you know, th- there's a lot there. I mean, I'll, I'll just say with leaky, it's Cut, always really... good to have a counterpart like that, right? You're like, you know what, you know, she, you know, what, I I, I agree what she just said, you know, whatever I, I agree. she said.
2: But really, yeah, I mean, and and to to that point, it's it's a story of disconnection, right? We're disconnected from our food, we're disconnected from our microbes, we're disconnected from sometimes community. And, and a healthy relationships with help, which helps us calm and decrease stress. So it's really a story of disconnection, this disconnection leading to a literal disconnection of our epithelial cells in our gut to where they then get leaky. Mm-hmm. So as you see it in the macro, in the big world, you see it in the micro world of our gut. So those dis- that disconnect from your health or like yeah, Doc, just give me that antibiotic and quick give me the, the quick fix, whether it's a lactate pill or whatever, and you're just taking these things without understanding the ramifications, you are literally then going to get a disconnection and a leakiness in your gut, which then opens up, you know, everything Dahlia just mentioned. So really it is the story of a massive disconnection.
0: Yeah. And um, and thank you for sharing that on Dahlia. You know, it definitely brings me back to my you know, Netter days and Guyton physiology days of school. So, but it is is totally, totally what you said about disconnection. And I mean, let's face it, the gut is not sexy to talk about, right? Like, you know, and and we also disconnect. You know, the organs, right? Like, we love mm-hmm. to talk about the heart independently or the pair of mm-hmm. kidneys, you know, independently, and. You know, for those that are not having as much background, you know, they're associating them them with certain things, right? right. The, you know, the heart as the engine, the the brain as the cognition, liver. You know, we're like, what do we do? Okay, not drink alcohol. Okay, we're good. We're good, and and that's mm-hmm. it, right? So. It's uh, we do need to do a better job. And this is where information, awareness, education, super, super important, like you just said, to kind of reinforce and bring those concepts, you know, home. So I, I appreciate that. So next question is, is that from that point, okay, you, you know, you have a leaky gut and there is a lot of different kinds of conditions that can result There's no way that we can, you know, talk about all of them, but your program specializes in SIBO and, you know, IBS. So let's talk about those two. First off, please define, you know, what it is. And then number two, why focus on those two for, obviously you guys, you know, I'm sure, you know, cater towards, you know, many other gut uh, related conditions, but why those two, why are they important to talk about?
1: They are something near and dear to my heart because I'm somebody who has a previous diagnosis of IBS that I no longer identify with, right? I don't really fall into the category of the symptoms that kind of qualify somebody for irritable bowel syndrome. And Honestly, it's a disease of exclusion. You, you are diagnosed with IBS when your care team can't really find anything else wrong. They say, sorry. "Okay." Can we... I can I
2: interject? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. A- and that is very controversial. We find so we, mm-hmm. we get a lot of flack for that on <laughs> Instagram or Reddit or wherever where, you know wherever people find. What those.
0: is controversial that it's an exclusion that that, that you Muslim?
2: can say I no longer have IBS symptoms? Mm-hmm. That's
0: controversial,
2: mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of people go, "That what are you talking about? You can't heal IBS. You can't. Mm-hmm. What did you? What do you mean you cure it?" call it whatever you want but dahlia was you and she'll she'll explain what ibs how you Mm -hmm. define that but you know she had ibs her doctor's like you have ibs she had all the symptoms and now she no longer has that right so that that's Mm -hmm. controversial in and of itself so we get that from patients like are you serious what are you talking about my my gastro says you can't do that my doctor says this and so it, it is like you said a need for education for yeah. patients, for whoever whoever's watching, but also for healthcare professionals to go, no, you you can do this. We've we do this, we've done it, and we continue to do it. So then
1: mm-hmm. what
2: is kind of IBS? And yeah. I just wanted to point so, that out because it, it gets kind of crazy.
1: <laughs> you know, for somebody to be considered to be to be diagnosed with IBS, for you know, the last six months or so, they have to experience a change in defecation or bowel movements, a change in pain, and they have to consistently have that how many people do we know who aren't gassy, bloated, having you know diarrhea, constipation? So many people fall into that category. I think a lot more than the 10 to 15% that's reported. I think, like you said, it's still a little bit taboo. Not everybody wants to talk about guts and butts and talk about how gassy they are <laughs> and bloated they are and uncomfortable they are. So you know, we do have a large percentage of our nation, a large percentage of the world who are diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. And In the last decade, so much amazing data has come out on the microbiome, right? Now we have the microbiome mapped. We now are understanding more about the virome. We now are understanding more about the fungalome and all of these other ecosystems, the parasitome, right? These ecosystems that live within the gut. Because at one time you had over 40% of gastroenterologists saying things like, the food you eat doesn't matter to your gut symptoms. It doesn't affect it. It doesn't change it. How does that make sense when that's literally what's interacting with the microbes, the bugs that are living in the gut? Irritable bowel syndrome, it is very prevalent. And in these last 10 years, we've had more and more amazing data come out to say, hey, maybe your gut isn't just irritable for no reason. They scoped you. They didn't find any type of bleed, inflammation, polyps. Okay, you don't have Crohn's. You don't have colitis. There's nothing functionally wrong with you. But now we're starting to understand from other modalities like breath testing. Now that we're starting to understand more about stool testing, we're seeing maybe it is something like small intestinal microbial overgrowth. We have things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or fungal overgrowth, methanogenic overgrowth, or other types of microbes that just don't belong in the small intestine because out of the hundred trillion microbes that are in the, the microbiome, the entire gut, a majority of them, 90 plus percent are in the colon. So we don't have a lot of these microbes that live in the small intestine. And now we're finding through breath testing, even through small bowel aspirate during an endoscopy where they take a sample of fluid and culture it, we're finding, oh, actually a fungal overgrowth from those dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of antibiotics that you took because you're in those antibiotic generations if you were born in the you know late 70s 80s 90s you were given antibiotics like you were given food you know maybe you do have bacterial overgrowth because you have issues with your motility maybe you do have some type of other type of microbe. Maybe you have methanogenic overgrowth because you have a lifelong history of constipation. So we're starting to find in data showing 14 to almost 80% of IBS is actually SIBO or C- Um, small intestinal microbial overgrowth. And we're starting to name it. We're starting to diagnose it. It's become validated. We're now the American College of Gastroenterology has incorporated diagnosis and treatment into their guidelines. So we're now supporting patients with IBS instead of just saying, well, don't eat the foods that make you gassy or change your stool or just stay near a bathroom and learn to live with it, right? We know it's a disorder of the gut brain connection. And so we're creating more tools to diagnose what it actually is. We have other tools like gut directed hypnotherapy to help really reconnect the gut to the brain. We have such amazing resources and tools nowadays where. We're not just telling people, oh, it's okay that you have a stomach ache all the time; just live with it. Because I feel like that's what I was told, right, or, when this was mm-hmm. first happening about twenty mm-hmm. years ago.
2: Or even worse, like dietitians, where, where the dietitian's job is to just maintain and help and help the symptoms, right? Of going mm-hmm. like, okay, you're gonna like the dietitians uh, for the most part, and even now are saying, well, you're gonna have IBS forever. Here's a diet to help manage your IBS. What we're trying to do and what we're trying to get out there and help other dietitians and even doctors do is go, Not, you have IBS, we're going to help you get rid of the IBS symptoms right, with diet and lifestyle, which which you can do. And you can do it in a 100% plant-based way, which is also another layer to this controversy because- Typically for IBS or SIBO, you're going on a more carnivore or, or animal-based diet. And that mm. that is why we're seeing this heightened increase in popularity of keto, carnivore, and, and you know, those very, very extreme diets. It's because mm-hmm. a lot of those people have gut issues and they feel better when they just eliminate all the fiber. It's not aggravating that IBS anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and we'll get into why that's that's not. You know, lack it's not of symptoms a does
1: not equal healing. Yeah, it's not a long
2: <laughs> yeah. solution.
0: I met uh, the author of Fiber Fuel, Dr. Will B. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. It's <laughs> so hard. Before he wrote the book. And there was one line that he says where, you know, like you just said, uh, Dalia, is that when you're not experiencing symptoms, people just kind of eliminate certain foods that bother them. Right. Mm-hmm. But his point is, You know, just because you're wanting those short-term gains of being, you know, symptom-free and no pain, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to win in the long term, right? Like Mm -hmm. you said, there's no healing, right? right? Hey, guys, thank you so much for watching this episode. We've decided that it's so good that we have to split it up to two parts. So this is part one make sure to check back to part two and to continue the episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new the chef doc app and don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it so and we'll see you on the next one